0: And uh, we're going to get into tonight, what I mentioned on Sunday morning that we were going to talk about, and that is the Lutheran Church. And what I want to do tonight is, uh, I say tell you a story, it's not really necessarily telling you a story, but uh, Lutheranism was founded by Martin Luther, obviously. He lived in 1483 to 1546 in Germany. I got a picture of him up there, and uh, he looks like he's really excited to be in church, and uh, he looks kind of like some of you guys on Sunday morning, Sunday night sometimes. No, I'm kidding. But uh, he, uh, <clears throat> the name Lutheran actually originated really as a derogatory term against those who were following Luther and his doctrine. And um, it was, a, it was a, a, a German scholastic theologian by the name of Dr. Johann Meyer von Eck during the Leipzig debate in 1519 that actually started calling them Lutherans. And it was... a uh, Eck and and a lot of these other Roman Catholics actually had kind of a tradition where anybody that they considered to be a heretic, they would call any follower of that person basically after that person's name. So uh, anybody that identified with the theology of Martin Luther was, you know, called a Lutheran as a way to basically call them and identify their heresy, but Martin Luther, supposedly, and I I haven't talked to him, so I don't know, but supposedly he always, he he never really liked the the name Lutheran or the term Lutheran. Uh, He preferred evangelical because it, it, you know, it spoke of the gospel and uh, it was derived from that word, the Greek word meaning good news or the gospel, but... Uh, followers of John Calvin and Zwingli and other theologians linked to the Reformed tradition also used that term, and so they actually started distinguishing between two groups. They had the, uh, Luther- the evangelical Lutherans and the evangelical Reformed, and as time passed, they dropped that word evangelical, and they just became Lutherans. But the Lutherans themselves actually started to use that term to define themselves uh, in the middle of the 16th century in order to distinguish themselves from other groups like the Anabaptists and the Calvinists and so on, but in 1597, theologians in Wittenberg actually defined the title Lutheran as uh, referring to the true church, which is pretty interesting. But uh, what we're going to see—that's only really the tip of the iceberg with the history of how they came about. So, what I want to get into tonight is kind of the history, and and it does maybe it doesn't help as much to um, distinguish between. Uh, us and some of these other religions, but it helps you understand how they got to where they are, and it helps you understand what they are because of knowing how they got there, and so um, I say story tonight. I kind of, I do kind of want to, it really is a story that's told, and how Luther ended up uh, with his separation from the Catholic Church and everything else, and then we'll talk about just a couple other things after that. We'll get into the doctrine and all of that stuff next week, but Martin Luther was actually educated by the brethren of the common life who were, they were loosely Roman Catholics. Now, everybody in the 500s, essentially to 1500 AD, if you were not Catholic, then you were persecuted. Um, And so whether you were Catholic or not, you at least claimed to be associated with the Catholic church uh, because you didn't want that persecution. Now, there was always a church that was not and was was constantly persecuted through that entire time. Um, you had the Waldensians and the the Petrobrugians and the Anabaptists, and and that is essentially what ended up becoming the Baptist Church today. Uh, there was always a remnant that was never part of the Catholic Church, but for the most part, anybody who claimed to be any part of religion during that time period was was Catholic, even if it was loosely Catholic and that 's where he was at and supposedly now they put less of an emphasis on the sacraments and on the um, you know Catholic Church. Um, uh, tradition, and more emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and godly living, which to them meant something completely different than what it does to us, but it was, it was, it was enough that it was slightly different than what the Catholic Church was teaching and preaching. Well, in July of 1505, uh, he was a student in law school, and he actually was knocked to the ground by a flash of lightning, and it wasn't his conversion moment or anything like that, but it scared him. And uh, he realized that there was something a whole lot bigger than himself, there was something a whole lot bigger than just law school and everything else, and so he decided that he was going to give his life to the religious cause, essentially. And so um, he went and joined a Catholic monastery, and at an Augustinian monastery in Erfurt, Germany, he started to study the Bible. And he came to the understanding that God's salvation in Jesus Christ is offered freely, and it's accepted by faith. Through grace. And he joined the faculty of the University of Wittenberg a year later, 1511. He became the head of the theology department um, in 1512. And so he's moving his way up here. Luther was not just somebody who crawled out of the woodwork and decided, you know what, we're going to make our stand here. He was somebody within the Catholic Church, essentially. Uh, he wasn't a pope or, or a cardinal or something like that, but, but he, was, he, he, was, he was one of their teachers. He was one of the the theologians, he was one of their college professors, if you will. Well, in 1517, and that that date should sound familiar to you because 1517 is actually considered to be the start of the Reformation, but in 1517, he actually challenged the Catholic Church to defend the doctrine of indulgences. Now, the Pope was promising to forgive sins of those who were alive and those who were dead if they would just buy indulgences. Now, this just goes to show you, and we spent a lot of time talking about the Catholic Church, so I'm not going to take you know, much time on that tonight, but just goes to show you what a, what a, uh, a whole pot of lies the Catholic Church is, and, and how it literally this entire religion was based on business. What kind of money could we make off of this? And so they started selling these indulgences, and Pope Leo X was, was one who was... Uh, probably the, the, one of the greatest uh, promoters of the indulgences. He lived an extravagant lifestyle that he had to pay for, and he was also building this St. This, uh, uh, Peter's Cathedral, which was just a massive cathedral. And so he sent representatives all the way throughout the rest of Europe to start selling these indulgences. And basically an indulgence is it's, it's like a letter of credit that you can buy and you can either use that to it's it's basically like, like a get out of jail free card. Get out get you know, get a sin forgiven card is essentially what it is. You can buy these indulgences ahead of time before you sin. and then when you sin, you could just take this indulgence and, and now your sin's taken care of because you've already paid for it. You could also use those indulgences to get somebody out of purgatory who had already died, so you could help pay for their sins. And so naturally people are gonna be buying these up as much as they can because. Hey, this is, this is like a, you know, this is, this is my ticket to heaven, essentially, is what it is. Well, the, the, the bigger the sin, the more expensive the indulgence, and of course, you know, uh, they, they kind of made up what was the big sins, what was the small sins, and they could charge whatever they wanted to for these indulgences. Uh, but one of the Pope's indulgence agents, it was a Dominican monk by the name of Johann Tetzel, a picture of him there. If he doesn't look like a Dominican monk that's selling indulgences, I don't know who does, but... Uh, he fits the bill, but he came to the town where Luther was living. He was ushered in. Now, you also have to remember, this is the, this is the dark ages. Um, the, the, there was a caste system. Uh, the peasants were peasants, and they were never going to be anything but peasants. Uh, and that was where the majority of your people lived. And then you had your wealthy businessmen and landowners, which would also have included your uh, Catholic priests and all of those guys who were very wealthy uh, living off the dime of these people who had nothing, but he came into this town. He was ushered into the city really in royal style. He he was sitting on a chariot, had a large red cross in his hand. He had a big, uh, fancy velvet cushion, and on that cushion he had some uh, basically an edict from the pope saying, "Hey, we can sell these indulgences. You can buy them. You can get your sins forgiven." And his his sales pitch, if you will. But this is, uh, and and obviously this, this may or may not be word for word, but this is recorded to be what he said as he came in and Luther was standing in that town square listening to him talk about these indulgences. But he said this, there is no sin so great that an indulgence cannot remit. But more than this, indulgences avail not only for the living, but for the dead. Priest, noble, merchant, wife, youth, maiden, do you not hear your parents and your other friends who are dead and who cry from the bottom of the abyss? Why, the very instant your money rattles at the bottom of the chest, the soul escapes from purgatory and flies liberated to heaven. And of course, I mean, who's not going to do that? You're being told by your religious leader that if you don't pay to get them out of purgatory, they're going to stay there and burn forever, and it's your fault because you could have paid and you didn't. So these people are taking the last little bit of what they have and buying these indulgences, and Luther is standing there watching that and listening to that, and, and he, he honestly uh, is a student of the Bible enough that he, he knows that that's not in the Bible, and so he starts to question that, and he starts to challenge them on that. Well, the sale of indulgences, it really just brought a fortune into the, pope, the Pope's coffers, but it wreaked havoc on the spiritual condition of the people, and, it, and I mean, naturally so. You, you, it deceived them into thinking that they could avoid God's judgment for their sin by just buying a piece of paper. And so they just got gradually worse and worse and worse and descended into more and more depravity. Well, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the castle church at Wittenberg, to that door, basically protesting the the sale of indulgences. And there's the church still in existence today. Um, You you can visit the the, uh, castle church there at Wittenberg. But he nailed that 95 theses to the door, and uh, it, it essentially erupted into something much bigger, maybe even than he thought it was going to be. He was just trying to protest the sale of these indulgences. But in the spring of the next year, he ended up having to defend his position before an assembly of Augustinian monks in Heidelberg, Germany. And of course, the Pope wrote to Frederick, who is the elector of Saxony. He was called Frederick the Wise. He asked him to turn Martin Luther over to Cardinal Cajetan, but... Frederick refused to turn Martin Luther over, and I think part of it is Martin Luther had, had been talking about these things amongst those people in the area, and they were starting to have their eyes opened as well, and starting to realize that this is just a money-making scheme, not something that's found in the Bible. Well, Luther then agreed to meet the cardinal at Augsburg, and, and it was there that he told him that he was not afraid of the Pope. I don't care what the Pope does to me, I'm not afraid of the Pope, is what he told him, and, and so uh, when they found out, when the Pope found out that, the, that the, the Cardinal failed to force Luther to submit, he wrote a letter to Frederick again demanding that he surrender Luther, and again he refused to surrender Martin Luther. Well, it wasn't long after that that Luther and another man by the name of Andrew Karlstadt conducted a public debate with a Catholic leader by the name of Johann Eck, as we mentioned him earlier, but he failed to win Luther over Uh, In a a theological debate, Martin Luther's mind was not going to be changed. And so uh, Pope Leo X on June the 15th, 1520 now, issued a papal bull, which remember we said is an edict, and basically demanded and commanded that all of Martin Luther's writings be burned uh, in the fire and that, that Martin Luther himself be delivered to the devil. And that was signed. And, and, and all of these things were going to happen unless Martin Luther recanted within 60 days. Well, Martin Luther decided that he was not going to recant. In fact, he actually burned that papal bull in Wittenberg, outside of the, uh, the walls of Wittenberg there. And in the meantime, just a, a, a deluge of pamphlets had, had started circulating uh, that was really calling into question the Catholic Church. And, and you have to remember, the Catholic Church had a stranglehold... On that, on, on all of Europe for, for a thousand years at that point. I mean, a thousand years is hard for us to comprehend. I mean, you, when you think that the United States has been around for 275 years, 275 years, that's from the beginning to right now. That's, I mean, and we think that that's a long time. You know, our entire United States history multiplied that times four. That's how long the Catholic Church was not even questioned by anybody. And now all of a sudden, not only they're being questioned, they're starting to lose their grip and they don't know what to do, but they realize we better get a handle on this quick or it's going to get out of hand really fast and we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Um, The invention of the printing press by Johann Gutenberg actually just a few years earlier was, was what was making a lot of this possible because before it was so expensive and so hard to get a hold of a book that a common person wouldn't be able to. And now, the fact that books were starting to be printed and pamphlets were starting to be circulated, people are starting to learn how to read and and starting to want to be able to read. And so, the more they're reading for themselves, the more their eyes are starting to be open that this Catholic Church has been keeping them in darkness for all of these years. Well, the Pope instigated, but the the new emperor of Germany, Charles V, called upon Martin Luther to appear before uh, an assembly of the states of the German monarchy in 1521, and here's another thing that, that I don't have time to go into, but suffice it to say that there was no separation of church and state. Um, the, the, the church was the state, and the state was the church, and if you, didn't agree with the, if you didn't agree with the pope as the leader of whatever country you were ahead of, he could excommunicate you and you'd be banished to hell, so you're going to do whatever the pope says. So the pope was essentially the leader of the religious world and the, re- the leader of the political world. Uh, you did have kings and everybody else that were in those positions, but those popes controlled the kings. And so now, it's in the king's best interest, because of the pope instigating this, that he bring Martin Luther in here before an assembly of states and shut him up before the Catholic Church loses that hold, and something happens to the king because of it. So, the assembly, it was called a diet, uh, is, uh, the Diet of Worms. Um, and Worms, W-O-R-M-S, actually it's pronounced Worms a lot of times, but the Diet of Worms is basically an assembly in the city of Worms got together and um, they, they pulled Martin Luther in there. Well, Frederick, the wise, you remember, he was pretty much Luther's protector, he would only allow Luther to go on two conditions. He said uh, that that he would not, and, and he was he was not a religious leader. He was a political leader. But he said, "I'm not even going to let you bring Martin Luther there to Worms if he he is not going to be promised safe passage back here, no matter what the outcome of this of this assembly is, um, no matter what the verdict was." And so, before Luther arrived, the Pope's represented, uh, representative, Aleander, addressed this assembly with with great eloquence and and just. You know, laid all of these things out about why Martin Luther was a heretic and why Martin Luther needed to be banished and why everything that he had written needed to be burned. And and um, you know, he actually claimed that Luther's writings contained enough errors to burn a hundred thousand heretics. Um, that's how scared they were of what Martin Luther was was saying, just from the Bible, just by questioning the indulgences, just by saying that it's not. Uh, a pope that can save you. It's, it's salvation by grace through faith. That's how, that's how scared they were of this. But they promised that he would have safe conduct by the emperor, and so Luther appeared before the assembly in April to answer for himself. When he was asked, asked about the 20 books that they had arranged on the table in front of the assembly, Luther replied that they were his. Uh, that's the first question that they asked. And then they asked him if he would be willing to denounce everything that he had written in those books. He gave his famous answer. He said this, Since your most serene majesty and the princes require from me a clear, simple, and precise answer, I will give it thus. I cannot submit my faith either to the pope or to the councils, because it is as clear as day that they have frequently erred and contradicted each other. Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless they thus render my conscience bound by the word of God, I cannot and I will not retract it, for it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I take my stand. I cannot do otherwise. May God be my help. Amen. That was his answer to the diet of worms, this counsel that was there basically to condemn him if he did not retract his statements. And of course, when they heard that, the emperor issued a judgment against him and and forbade him to continue speaking, forbade him to continue writing, and they told him that if he disobeyed the order, that the the emperor vowed, quote, to proceed against him and his adherents as as contumacious heretics by excommunication, by interdict, and by every means calculated to destroy them. So, Martin Luther was sent back to Wittenberg, and on his way back to Wittenberg, um, a group of some Catholics were sent to assassinate him on his way back. Well, Frederick the Wise actually heard about this and, and, and sent some of his own men to kidnap Luther and pretend that he had been robbed on the way, and they brought him to a castle. And they, he stayed in that castle for a couple of years, t- changed his identity for a while, uh, t- um, uh, dressed as a country gentleman, called himself Squire George. But it was while he was there at that castle that he started to translate the Bible from Latin into the common German language. Now, it was German, and that's what the common language was for them at that time. But he started to translate the New Testament. And in March of 1522, he returned to Wittenberg, and uh, they, they, were, they were starting to go into all of these different places and, and destroy churches, uh, Catholic churches, uh, to destroy the images, to, de- to tear all of these things down. And Martin Luther, you know, he was opposed to the violence um, but his opinions held sway in that city, and so he turned his attention to the revision of the New Testament in september of fifteen twenty two He published it and uh, we have the fir- first page there of the that 's the front the, the title page of luther 's New testament um, but um, in the middle of all this general religious agitation, it became a national treasure almost overnight because the people finally had the The word of God in their own language, and many of them, uh, because by this point the Renaissance had started, had already taken place. So the Renaissance actually happened in the 1400s. the The Reformation was kind of a result of the Renaissance. And when I say Renaissance, it was like a rebirth of learning. People actually had a desire to learn how to read. People had a desire to learn how to write, and by having that desire they actually were able to get these books in their hands and start to read it for themselves and start to realize that for a thousand years, the Catholic Church had been lying to them about everything that the Bible said about all of these different things. And so within 10 years, at least 58 editions of the Luther Bible were printed and actually hundreds of thousands of copies of that Bible were sold within just 10 years of him making this translation. Well, then the Old Testament came along in 1530 and there was another guy Perhaps you recognize his name because he's pretty well known in church history as well, Uh, but his name is Philip Melanchthon, and he was one of Luther's co-laborers. He was a fellow professor at the university, but he helped Martin Luther organize the state church, and he wrote a systematic theology. He wrote commentaries on the New Testament. Those were things that actually helped the common man to understand, again, that the Catholic church had been lying to them and that that's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. But he had a key role in preparing the Lutheran confessions of faith. He is, he is not necessarily considered to be a founder of Lutheranism, but he was definitely a big help to Martin Luther in establishing some of the things that, that ultimately became the Lutheran confessions that became the Lutheran doctrine, if you will, that established the Lutheran church. But Philip Melanchthon is his name, uh, just, a, just a, as common a man as can be. And you can tell by looking at the picture of this guy. Uh, And most of these are all, obviously, nobody sat for pictures. Very, very few people actually had painted pictures of themselves back then. Most of them were um, etchings and carvings and things like that. So that's all that's that's, uh, um, made it to today. So these guys may or may not look exactly like what their pictures are. But at least it kind of puts a face to the name a little bit with some of these things. But as, as it moved on, at the Diet of Spire in 1529... Emperor Charles V condemned the Lutheran movement and, then, and said, stop spreading this. Which, I mean, the thing is, I mean, how, how do you just, oh, okay, we'll stop then. You know? It hadn't worked up to this point, but the, but, but the point here is that the Catholic Church was trying to, to say, we did everything we could to stop it without violence. We did everything we could to keep it from spreading. Um, but a lot of the German princes of the various provinces and free cities protested the order, and so they were called Protestants. They were protesting the Catholic Church trying to squash this Reformation. Um, But these princes formed the Schmalkald League uh, in 1530. I thought it was a pretty funny name, but I, I kept reading it over and over and over, and but anyway, Charles V was already hard-pressed by the actions of these, the Muslims that were warring on the boundaries, didn't have anything to do with the religious side of it, but because they were dealing with all of that, they didn't have the resources or the, uh, or the strength to put into trying to quash this, uh, this uprising of the Reformation, if you will, and so he granted religious liberty for several years, and during that time, because of religious liberty, everything started really spreading. Well, there was war between the Catholics and the Lutheran Protestants in Germany between 1546 and 1555, and again, it's hard for us to comprehend this because we don't think of religious wars. But very much back in that time period, the uh, well, number one, there was kingdoms um, and and princes with castles and kings with castles and all of that kind of stuff who had their own little area that they were in charge of, which. It's hard for us to comprehend because we don't see it that way anymore. But then it's also that the religion and the politics were so closely tied together that you were going to go to battle over what you believed because that also had to do with your politics. And so uh, there was a lot of that fighting. And the struggle ended with the victory by the Protestants and a proclamation that both Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism were recognized as legal religions within the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire. But that does not necessarily mean that there was, there was actual religious liberty because it was stipulated that the people of each region would have to be whatever religion the prince of that region said they had to be. So this, you know, it's not only Catholic, but now if the, if the prince comes and says, we're Lutherans and you're going to be a Lutheran or you're going to be banished or you're going to be killed or whatever else, there's still no religious liberty. And it still goes completely against the idea of what Christianity is. You cannot force somebody to be a Christian. Otherwise, they're probably not, right? So they kind of missed the whole point with all of that. Those who did not accept the official religion were persecuted. And so the Lutherans actually proved to be almost as intolerant as the Catholics had been before them against the Anabaptists, the Waldensians, those who eventually became known as the Baptists. And so we, we actually have some, something against the Lutheran church because they persecuted us, right? Um, because, again, Luther rejected the papacy. He rejected, you know, he tried to correct a lot of Rome's errors, but he also retained a lot of those errors. And like I mentioned as we went through the, the, the Catholic, uh, when we were talking about the Catholic doctrine, what, what's happened is, they were protesting what was happening within the Catholic Church. They weren't necessarily trying to come up with a new religion. They weren't trying to do away with Catholicism. They were just trying to change Catholicism from the inside, which is why I've said many times, and I'll I'll say it again as we we wrap up in just a couple minutes, we're not Protestants. We're not part of the Protestant movement. We were never protesting the Catholic Church. We were always against the Catholic Church. But then you had things like the Lutherans and some of these other groups that came out of that who really never shed the Catholic doctrines. They just started getting called by a different name and changed a couple things. And honestly, that's, that's one of the big mistakes that Martin Luther made. He, he retained infant baptism. He retained the priesthood. He retained a form of Catholic mass. He had the pagan rituals of crucifixes and candles and all that stuff. Now, he taught the three fundamental doctrines, if you will, sola fide, salvation by, by uh, faith alone, sola gratia, which is salvation by grace alone, and sola scriptura, which is the Bible alone. He taught those things, and I think he believed those things, but you also, uh, it, and it's easy to criticize him um, for not actually following through with what he said he believed, but you also have to remember that his life was being threatened at every turn. Now, does that, does that mean that you don't stand for the faith? No, but you also have to understand that what Martin Luther was teaching and preaching was also brand new. It's not that, oh, Martin Luther came along and, you know, the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith had been around for hundreds of years and, and he just, you know, quivered on it and, and wouldn't stand for the truth. He was essentially bringing that truth to light. So he's already making a huge stand against a a church that could have just put their thumb on him and squashed him like a bug, and he would have been gone. So uh, I give Martin Luther a little bit of grace when it comes to those things. He taught and preached a lot of the right things, but he didn't go far enough. And the Lutheran church today is suffering because of it. And I say suffering, suffering doctrinally And religiously, if you will, because he didn't go far enough. It's obvious that that he didn't follow the Bible alone as his source of of faith and practice because he adopted a lot of the Catholic doctrines and practices that are contrary to the Bible. And um, the Lutheran church in Germany and in elsewhere was a state church. Um, That means that every citizen was automatically made a church member at birth through infant baptism and you were part of that Lutheran church until you died or until you, you know, were killed or whatever because of it. So the Lutheran church, quote unquote, was composed largely of, of a lot of unregenerate people. It was a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, if you will. And, and again, I go back to, I, I think Martin Luther had it right. Um, in fact, I know Martin Luther had it right. The, the just shall live by faith, salvation by grace through faith alone, only scripture and all of those things. Martin Luther had it right. And had Martin Luther followed through with all of those things, then I think what would have come out of that would have been a pure denomination that was preaching the truth and and only the truth. I think they would have made that complete separation from the Catholic Church, but as it stands, Martin Luther, for whatever reason, did not make that complete separation and ended up with a diluted form of Catholicism with salvation by grace through faith added into it. So... Well, let me talk about this and we'll be done. The development of the Lutheran church. So what happened after that? Um, Lutheranism became the state religion in a lot of countries. Germany, Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway, Prussia. I mean, it became these, these state religions. So now Catholicism's back has been broken, but it's just been replaced by something else that they're saying you have to be. You have to be Lutheran, you know? Um, and so tens of thousands of, of, of humble Bible believers were actually put to death during that time. Uh, by the Lutheran church themselves because they would not bend to the state church being Lutheranism. And so um, they, you know, they, they refused to accept the false state church, their, their false belief of infant baptism and a lot of these other things, and so they were persecuted. And the ones that they were actually persecuting were the ones who we are descended from. Um, the, the Baptists, which is just one more proof to the statement that Baptists are not Protestants. The Protestants were persecuting us. Why would, they, why would Protestants persecute Protestants, right? We were different enough from them that they felt that we were a big enough threat that they needed to get rid of us. And so um, just one more, one more proof in that statement that, that we're not Protestants. But we'll end with this. Uh, there's a Mennonite historian by the name of John Horsch, and, and he, he goes on to explain from history that Martin Luther actually defended the independent New Testament Baptist Church meaning a completely separate entity from the Catholic Church, not something that was just reformed from within. Um, to me, it makes, it makes me think that, in his own mind at least, Luther may have been more like we are today, but he was swayed on that issue somehow and he never came back to it. Um, from the writings of both Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli, it's, it's pretty clear that in the early years of their, of the, of their reformatory laborers, as they were working on reforming the Catholic Church, they defended the principle of voluntary church membership. Um, and and all, all you have to do is go back and look at their writings to basically say, there should be no such thing as a state church. There should be no such thing as forced membership within the church. Um, they talked about the need for church discipline and the independence of the church from state control. They talked about those things. They wrote about those things. But it was it was... It was through obvious compromise that they, they later consented to the establishment of these churches that eventually became state churches of the kind that we talked about. But Luther al- always recognized the fact that if you force somebody to become a part of a church, it's, it's not a real religion to you. And, and he wrote about that and he talked about that and... and Uh, Some of these other guys that he ended up speaking with, and and I'll mention one in in just a second, but uh, he said over and over and over that the general condition of the people who were identified with the state church, the the Lutheran church, was deplorable, and that he had abandoned any hope of Christ-likeness in that state church. So essentially what Martin Luther saw was they exchanged one state church with the dead religion for another state church with dead religion it, it, the same way. It was not, It was not. you know, maybe there was no indulgences being sold, and maybe there was none of these other things, but it was the exact same thing, just in a, in a different area and by a different name. And he saw that. But knowing what he understood about salvation by grace through faith, I think we can say that in the early period of his labor as a reformer, Martin Luther actually realized the need of organizing a church whose members were... Um, there, by personal choice, that took Christianity seriously, that they were determined to have a walk with God and everything else. In April of, of, of 1522, he wrote this. Many we know at the present are well-nigh heathen under a Christian name, yet organize a Christian assembly in which discipline could, could be practiced. In the following year, he preached another sermon uh, that talked about the separation of the church from the indifferent masses. He said it was, it's necessary. We've got to have that separation. So this is 1522, 17 was when he wrote this, so it was not, or or was was when he nailed the the thesis to the door, so you're only talking five years later. At the very beginning, Martin Luther was talking exactly what needed to be done, talking exactly what needed to happen in order for that separation to completely take place. But after the New State Church, comprising the whole population had been established in 1525, he he started to entertain, you know, hopes that the true Christian congregations that consisted of these individual believers would actually start to separate themselves out and become something different. But in December of 1525, he had a very important conversation with a, with a guy by the name of Caspar Schwenkfeld. We have a picture of him as well. Same, same kind of guy along with Martin Luther of, about the establishment of New Testament churches and uh, the separation. And so uh, at that time, Schwenkfeld visited him in Wittenberg, brought Martin Luther attention to the fact, and, and Martin Luther actually admitted to this, that, that they spoke about these things, that the establishment of a new state church had failed in the realm of creating and developing truly spiritual people. They were doing it because they felt like they had to be a part of this church or be persecuted, be part of this church, or suffer the consequences in whatever way that was. So Schwenkfeld added that in his opinion, and this is just him writing later on, um, that 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 betterment could not be looked for unless those who confessed themselves to be in earnest in their Christian profession were gathered into congregations in which spiritual discipline was exercised. Otherwise, he said it was gonna go from bad to worse, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, he predicted it, if you will, and, and that prediction came true. Because he, he also writes that Luther regretted very much that no amendment of life was evident. Basically, what he was saying is, even Martin Luther noticed these people were not changing to become more like Christ. These people were not changing because they believed the message of the gospel. They were changing because it was something different than from the Catholic Church, and they didn't want to be under the bonds of that Catholic Church anymore, and that's all it was. And so, uh, Martin Luther was actually thinking of entering the names of those in who actually claimed to believe in salvation by grace through faith, and among those disciplines that could be exercised, he was thinking of preaching for them in the chapel of the former Augustinian monastery, letting other people go and preach to the the ones who wanted it to just be a formal religion. But Schwenkfeld wrote this, I continued to question him regarding church discipline and asked him definitely what he proposed to do in this respect. He would not answer me on this point. In conclusion, Luther said that he had not the people to make the plan of establishing such a church feasible. Within a few weeks after this discussion with Schwenkfeld, Martin Luther actually ended up publishing a book that he, again, stated the views about this. We need to establish independent New Testament churches that are apart from any kind of state religion or whatever else, but we just don't have the people to be able to do it. And that'll show you where Lutheranism was from the very beginning. A lot of them, and and I do believe that there was a good number of them that probably really did get saved, but I also believe that there was... Probably a lot of them that did not either. And so, as a whole, the results of, of Lutheran uh, or Luther and Zwingli and all of these Reformation movements fell far short of what it actually could have become had they taken it to that next step. Had they, had they acted on what they said they believed about these different things, I think there would have been a, a, a solid separation from the Catholic Church. Um, but it's a fact that, that even the reformers themselves freely recognized if we would just completely separate, but most of them never did. And Luther, who actually outlived Zwingli by 15 years, can you turn this down a little bit? I don't, it seems like it went up to me, but, um, but, but outlived Zwingli by 15 years. In, in, in his later years of life, he actually expressed disappointment over the fact that uh, the, the Reformation did not, uh, fulfill everything that it could have as, as a reformation. And um, he told people often that, that people had become more and more indifferent toward religion, that, that the reformation, although it could have been something tremendous, ended up not being as great as it really could have been. Now, we look back at the reformation in the 1500s, and we say, wow, what did, I mean, this was the, the, one of the greatest spiritual awakenings of all times, if you will. And it was, it was big. But I, I go through all of that to say that it's the Lutheran church is what it is today because Martin Luther never completely made that split. And, I, and, and uh, we're going to talk about this because there's actually three divisions within the Lutheran church. You have a very liberal faction, you have kind of a middle of the road, and then you have one that's kind of conservative, and the conservative is, is actually... A decent amount, like us. I mean, and I think a lot of them, even though they're, I think they have a lot of doctrines that are off, are probably saved. They do believe in salvation by grace through faith, and and that alone, at least in in name, that's what they say. You know, they take a lot of, especially the conservative side, the Missouri Synod. You've probably seen that on on some Lutheran church signs. That's the more conservative side of it. They take a stand against homosexuality. They take a stand against, uh, you know. Transgender. They take a stand against abortion. They stand against a lot of these things. They're off on some doctrines, and those are the things that we're going to talk about. But I think the Lutheran church as a whole has stayed within that Catholic realm because Martin Luther and some of these other guys that were with him, but Martin Luther obviously has his name attached to it, never completely made that separation. And they were so happy to see the Catholic church being reformed and the Lutheran churches being established that were different from the Catholic church, that they let that be what it became. State church, state religion, and everybody just became Lutherans because that's what you had to be if you wanted to be part of that, that, that state. But even before the abolition of Mass in Wittenberg, Melanchthon, who is, who is really the most notable assistant of, of Luther, if you will, wrote this. The common people adhere to Luther only because they think that no further religious duty will be laid upon them. Many believe themselves very pious and holy when they upbraid priests and monks or eat meat on Friday. So essentially what, what they were doing is just trying to be different from the Catholic Church. Go make fun of the monks. You know, let's, 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 uh, let's go tease the monks for a while. Let's go eat meat on Friday, which Catholics don't do, right? Right? Because it was something different. And the only reason they were following Luther is because nothing else is going to be required out of them like it was out of the Catholic Church. Lutheran church historian, and we'll end with this, with this quote, uh, Professor Karl Mueller of Tübingen, Tubingen, Germany, said this, the aggressive conquering power which Lutheranism manifested in its first period was lost everywhere at the moment when the governments took matters in hand and established the Lutheran creed. Now, that's, a, that's a pretty bold statement. That's from a Lutheran historian. And so the fact that, that they're willing to say, had they just made that separation? Well, you know what? There was a church that did. It was the Anabaptists. They split off. They had the people to establish these independent New Testament churches. And they, they continued on as the, as the true church. And so it, it wasn't only the state church connection that corrupted the Lutheran denomination, uh, it was the adoption of infant baptism. It was, you know, um, unscriptural priesthood, this hierarchical system of government and polity and all of that kind of stuff. There was a lot of other things that went along with that. But uh, by not being scripturally baptized and joining themselves with and into a sound New Testament church, really the, the Lutherans ended up perpetuating this Roman apostasy, the, the apostasy of the Catholic Church, because they did not make a separation. They just wanted it to be a little bit changed underneath. And so these various denominations that originated with Martin Luther in the 16th century Protestant Reformation are are very much in existence today. And many of them are not that much different from the Catholic Church because they didn't make that separation from them. Um, You know, and like I said, Martin Luther rejected a lot of the Roman Catholic dogmas. Uh, They rejected mariolatry. They rejected um, the Pope. They rejected, you know, sacrament salvation, they, re- they rejected a lot of those things, but he didn't return to simple New Testament faith, and he kept a lot of the other things that the Catholic Church had. And the Lutherans after him really reflect that error that Martin Luther made way, way back when he just didn't make that complete separation. So we're gonna talk next week um, about, uh, we're just gonna cover this very quickly because we kind of already covered it with the Methodist Church, and it's pretty similar, but the polity, of the Lutheran denomination, how they're set up as a church. Um, Because you've probably seen, you know, such and such Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. What does that mean? How is that set up, right? Um, And then we're going to talk about their doctrines. And I'm just going to highlight the things uh, when it comes to the doctrine. I'm just going to really highlight the things that are different from us. Um, Because a lot of them are actually the same. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in, you know, um, the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, a lot of those things. But there are some things that Obviously, things that are different cannot be the same. So they're different from us in, in enough ways that we're not close. And uh, we'll talk about those when we get back together next week. All right? Let's pray. We'll be done. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the truth of the Word of God. I thank you for those who are willing to take a stand against uh, not just false religions, but against religious apostasy. I thank you for the heritage that we have as Baptists. I thank you for allowing us to be a part of that and and to have that, that heritage that goes all the way back to those who were willing to make that stand so many years ago. And God, I pray that you help us to continue that stand for the truth of the word of God. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.